My research focuses on archiving medical records. Um, today's talking is taken from the fourth chapter of my thesis. Um, it's a work in progress at the moment, but I conducted 12 interviews with archivists and curators of medical records in Ireland and the UK. Um, the findings from these interviews are quite extensive. They resulted in over 23 hours of audio recordings and one email interview. So for today's talk, I've chosen to highlight a number of issues that arose during the interview analysis in order to outline a brief introduction to the many challenges faced by archivists dealing with medical records on a daily basis. So one of the first issues to arise during the course of the interviews was the human element of the medical record. Um, the interviewees agree that its incredibly personal nature and its close ties to someone's life story makes the medical record both innately interesting and difficult for the archivist to manage. Um, Piers Finnegan, the retired director of nursing at St Mary's Psychiatric Hospital in Castle Bar, argues that interpretation is, com is complex as you're not dealing with facts and figures, you're dealing with a gene pool. Richard Bennett from Grange Gorman states that it is important to remember that the medical record is someone's record and he, always, he said that he felt that that's sacred. Um, Dr Jennifer Haynes from the Wellcome Library feels that medical records possess a heightened sense of immediacy and argues that one of the reasons why they get so heavily used is their incredibly personal nature. It's a window into life, the relationship between the doctor and the patient. Um, Brian Donnelly from the National Archives of Ireland argues that as every human being can, create, um, can relate to medical records, they have a general appeal. So owing to the human appeal of the medical record, the interviewees notes its momentous importance for society. Um, for Neve Brennan in the Donegal archives, medical records represent history from below, as more than almost any other records, they uh, record the histories of individual people who would otherwise probably have left no archival record behind them. Um, Brian McGee in Cork argues that the, in the Irish context in particular, medical records um, represent a hot topic for society, illustrated by TV programmes such as Behind the Walls in RTE. Um, he, he feels that such media interest demonstrates that the issues raised by medical records represent, um, quote, big, big questions for society in relation to coming to terms with how people were treated. In this regard, Colin Gale in Bethlehem acknowledges that psychiatric medical records in particular have an intrinsic um, value and interest on a human level. However, he notes that although hu the human element of the medical record is a source of value, it should equally be a cause for caution. He describes psychiatric medical records as records of trauma. As such, he feels they should not be viewed outside the context of their collection, which explains what kind of hospital and indeed what kind of society created them and why. To view these records in any other way, he feels, would be to falsify and trivialise an individual's history. Using the Metropolitan Police photographs of Jack the Ripper victims held at the National Archives as an example, Gale explains that extremely personal historical records inevitably attract unwanted attention from voyeurs. This is particularly true of psychiatric medical records, which as well as detailed clinical notes are more likely to contain incredibly moving photographs and um, private letters. Gale argues that unfortunately it is human nature to be immediately drawn to a particularly lurid case or a particularly distressing image. However, Gale argues that although the threat of exploitation is a reason for caution on behalf of the archivist, it should not be employed as an obstacle for access, as, quote, then you deprive yourself of an opportunity to learn something that is worth knowing, I think, about the human condition that you can't learn without the availability of individual data. The interviewees suggest that medical records possess a higher quality than other archival records as they provide rich descriptions of an individual's history and in the case of psychiatric records, often the history of an entire family over sometimes quite long periods of time. Although the interviewees uh, um, acknowledge that the medical record is not the only window available in today into past 
people's past lives. Their responses um, illustrate that the relative uniqueness of the information contained within the medical record is encapsulated by an, a combination of its impact, its immediacy and its inclusiveness. As Donnelly states, the sort of insight you get from these records you wouldn't get from any other sources. The irony of the mental hospital system is that people incarcerated and perhaps forgotten by their relatives, there is some record of them. It's a nice irony. So closely tied to the human interest in the medical record is the broader issue of its research value. This is a topic on which all the participants agree, and their responses illustrate that research interest in the medical record is both diverse and growing steadily. The interviewees note a wide variety of uses for the medical record. These have been divided into four categories. The most frequent of these is academic researchers. This user group spans a broad range of disciplines, including sociologists and social, local and medical historians. The second category of users encompasses family history and genealogical research. The participants report that the frequency of such requests is on the rise. Archives such as Grange Gorman, Bethlehem and the National Archives of Ireland receive requests every week. Moreover, various interviewees note a growing interest in these records from remote users. In Grange Gorman, Bennett has recorded users from a variety of countries, from America and the UK to Germany, Australia and New Zealand. The third category identified includes medical research, encompassing medical students, biomedical researchers, epidemiologists, staff and patients, and family members seeking details of relatives' medical history. In this regard, one archivist argues that historic medical records possess an almost unique potential. Using psychiatric medicine as an example, he argues that these records are instrumental in adding to contemporary knowledge about what happens when certain conditions go untreated in the absence of modern medication and therapies. He states that today's doctors can get a better picture of the patient and their illness through examining historic case notes. Doctors in Victorian asylums kept meticulous patient case notes as a result of constant surveillance, in contrast to modern doctors who may not always be able to spend as much time with each patient as they would like. The final category is broad and consists of a variety of users with a general social or cultural interest in the material. In this regard, Judith Etherton, an archives consultant, argues that the research possibilities of the medical record are endless. Gail states people get all sorts of stuff out of medical records, including members of the public with a general historical interest, journalists, novelists and television producers, even one uh, researcher at Bethlehem interested in the history of chess. The responses suggest that the predominant type of user in the medical record is largely determined by the archival environment. Local archives are more likely to be accessed by family historians, whereas specialised services such as Welcome are more heavily used by academic researchers. It seems fair to suggest that academic researchers use medical records more than any other group because they are more aware of the existence of these records. The interviews illustrate that a number of family historians, the, num- the number of family historians continues to grow steadily as awareness of these records increases. More than half the interviewees attribute this heightened public engagement with archival records to the intervention of media such as the popular TV programme, Who Do You Think You Are? <coughs> Etherton explains that this programme comes from a sociological background and clearly understands what makes people tick. She ar- um, Gail argues that there is something particular about psychiatric medical records that give them a more profound meaning for family historians. However, emotional ties to the past are not just experienced by relatives. The archivists in Welcome note that even academic researchers reading raw medical material can get quite upset as the topic is so heavily immersed in human stories. Regardless of category of user, all participants agree that the full research potential of the medical record is yet to be realised and that for the most part these records are underused. Sarah Hutton from the National Archives offers an explanation for this. She argues that the volume and complexity of the medical record require time and resources, resulting in cataloguing backlogs and quite often the need for additional research guidance for the user. 
As such, medical records are not currently used as often as they should be. The majority of interviewees describe medical records as an untapped resource and they agree that medical records will have an increasing role in research in the future. For example, as medical records are closely tied to notions of familial and social identity, they are instrumental in in dismantling stigma, both past and present, whether this surrounds diseases such as tuberculosis or AIDS, or in the case of the archives examined, mental illness. Finally, the responses suggest that the frequency and purpose of use of medical records, both current and potential, are directly linked to issues of advocacy and outreach. The majority of participants note that the general public are not aware of these records and as such cannot yet appreciate their importance. In Grange-Gorman, Bennett noted a huge interest shown during the recent opening of the archive to the public as part of the 2011 Fibsborough Festival. Speaking on medical records in 2012, he comments, we're only sitting on the edge of it. Um, the responses illustrate that it is vital that archivists act now to ensure the survival of the medical record. However, the interviewees note that the nature of medical records present a distinct set of challenges in terms of their acquisition, appraisal and preservation. Where medical records remain on site, no decisions have been made as to the destruction, destruction or sampling of material. In such a raw state, these records remain vulnerable to adverse storage conditions, such as those records recently retrieved from the bird loft in Grange Gorman. The local authority archivists interviewed note the difficulties that can arise because HSE records fall outside the remit of local archive services. Nonetheless, as hospitals close, local archivists are proactive in seeking to acquire vulnerable collections. However, this is merely a short-term solution. For instance, the Wexford archives have only temporary custody of the records of St. Sennans Hospital. This means that no decisions can be taken as to the appraisal or sampling of material without consultation with the relevant hospital board and subsequently the collection remains supernumerary to the holdings of the archive. This places further demands on the resources of the local archive service, which which operates with limited staff and storage space. Voluminous medical collections also add to conservation and cataloguing backlogs. As such, access to the material is limited. Those medical records, even if rescued from closing institutions, can remain in a state of limbo. Donnelly's main line of work as the surveyor of business records in the National Archives of Ireland concerns the accessioning of endangered medical records. He describes his position as a type of fire brigade service, responding quickly to news of closing hospitals, accessioning the records which can end up in the most peculiar of places, and creating basic box lists of the material. Added to this are logistical concerns, such as hiring hauliers to move massive amounts of material and then finding adequate storage space. Donnelly comments that any appraisal taking place during this process is rough and ready and conducted on site. However, he notes that in his 30 years experiencing accessioning medical records, he has found it best to err on the side of caution when it comes to appraisal. He argues that often the full value of medical records does not become apparent until years later, and that therefore appraisal can only take place safely in the context of knowing generally what survives around the country, and in Ireland we're not at that point yet. Jennifer Haynes and Helen Wakeley in Welcome describe how the differing and sometimes unusual formats of medical records can be a preservation nightmare including x-rays, histologist lines, photographs of ultrasound scans, clinical diagnostics, and even body parts, in one case a slice of a lung. They explain that they receive such material quite often and in bulk. This material can deteriorate quickly. Moreover, they raise the issue um, of a lack of clinical understanding during the process of appraisal on the part of the archivist. Um, They describe as none of us are medics or scientists. They regularly liaise with the records creator and specialists in the field. 
The interviews illustrate that although the processes of acquiring, appraising and preserving medical records are a source of real concern, the majority of archivists do not have the resources to address these issues at present. Only a handful of interviewees had direct experience actively acquiring or appraising medical records. In contrast, the majority of participants interviewed have inherited vast collections of medical material. This can happen for a number of reasons. With regards to on-site medical records, Finnegan and Bennett must care for the material in the absence of a professional archivist. For local archivists such as McGee and Brennan, the majority of medical holdings were acquired before they began employment in the archive. And in Wexford, although not specifically stated in the collection policy, medical records were taken in from St. Sennans Hospital as they had nowhere else to go. The complexities surrounding the medical record can result in reluctance to make decisions as to destruction or sampling. Gale, for instance, argues that the appraisal of medical records requires both experience and familiarity, while Brennan argues that ethics is central to decisions made in terms of what is destroyed, if anything, and if so, when and by whom decisions are made. Donnelly explains that the appraisal of medical records requires the archivist to be more careful of their actions. Overall, the responses on this topic demonstrate that the physical rescue of medical records from destruction or loss does not necessarily secure their future. Medical records remain relatively inaccessible as archives struggle against issues of ownership and limited resources such as time, staff, space and money for conservation. Leading on from this, all participants from local archivists to specialised services describe the process of cataloguing records as a luxury. As a result of backlogs and limited resources, they explain that description often takes a backseat to the daily management needs of the archive. More often, collections are provisionally arranged and made accessible through basic box lists to be described in full at a later date. In addition, the majority of interviewees argue that the process of cataloguing medical records often places greater demands on the archivist than other collections. One of the greatest challenges highlighted by the interviewees concerns the language used in the description of medical material in the finding aid. This issue is twofold. Firstly, as Haynes and Wakeley note, the managing of medical material necessitates consultation with, consultation with relevant experts as to the meaning of technical medical terms. Secondly, language issues arise in relation to expression used. The archivists note the difficulties of describing material that often contains terms or phrases that are considered inappropriate today. Doran explains that as products of their time, psychiatric records frequently refer to patients as lunatics or idiots. There are also a number of associated sensitivities with certain medical terms of which the archivist must be aware. Hutton offers two examples of this. Firstly, GPI, general paralysis of the insane, which is one of the final stages of syphilis. And secondly, tysis, uh, short for hemotysis, which is one of the symptoms of bronchial conditions such as tuberculosis, which is traditionally stigmatised for its association with poverty. Hutton also describes the difficulties in answering user questions on the subject, for example, is suggesting to a researcher that they search the catalogue using the term imbecile as well as idiot so that they find a broader range of records while at the same time distancing yourself from such language. As these terms could potentially be considered offensive, the interviewees state that they must include additional clarification in the finding aid. They argue that it is important to outline the historical context of the language used in relation to the development of medical practice and societal attitudes towards particular illnesses. Moreover, the archivists feel that it is important to clarify that the reproduction of such language in describing the material in no way condones a similar sentiment on behalf of the archivist. Some explain that when faced with such terminologies during description, they place the original word in inverted commas to highlight the difference between the language of the record and that of the archivist. Square brackets are also effective in allowing the archivist to separate themselves from the material they are describing as they allow the archivist to express an opinion rather than a fact. 
for example, to offer a meaning of a particular term. The vastly varying formats of medical records also require additional clarification in the finding aid. However, Donnelly notes that even paper records, such as admission registers, are very idiosyncratic, as they vary quite dramatically from one hospital to another in terms of the level of detail offered and whether they are bound in separate files, semi-printed or handwritten. Inconsistent formats ensure that one template of description may not necessarily suit all record types. Consequently, participants were asked about the effectiveness of the International Standard of Archival Description, or ICEDG, in addressing the needs of a medical collection. Of the 60% who used this descriptive standard, ICEDG is considered to be a good tool for archival description and a great step forward. Haynes and Wakeley argue, however, that archival description is a case of horses for courses. What works in one situation may not necessarily work in another. Regardless of standard, they argue that the most important part of description is to give as much information as possible on the content and structure of the collection, particularly in relation to clinical or patient records. McGee believes that descriptive standards are particularly relevant to medical records, where comparative studies are likely to be conducted across a range of records from different hospitals. Quote, it is very important when we're arranging and describing that we're all singing from the same hymn sheet rather than the researcher having to relearn the ropes every time. Consequently, Donnelly comments that processing medical records requires a lot more work than normal collections. The responses from the interviews illustrate that medical records not only complicate certain archival processes, but also bring others to the fore. For example, the need for the archivist to try to think ahead to who is going to want to use this record and why, and to get that information into the description. The responses indicate that the inclusion of context is paramount in the arrangement and description of medical records. Such work is time-consuming, as the archivist must begin by perusing each record in order to note changes and inconsistencies, not only between hospitals, as mentioned earlier, but also within each hospital as record-keeping system, systems developed. In this regard, Hutton states that the National Archives offer in-depth research guides on a variety of subject headings, which are available online and in the reading room, and work side-by-side side with the finding aid. She argues that these guides are particularly important as they unpack complex terminologies for, for non-academic researchers and create a starting point for research on the topic. Although the interviews demonstrate that, all, that both attitudes and approaches towards the cataloguing and, um, medical, of medical records are varied, the common goal is to make the material, quote, as findable as possible to as many types of researchers as possible while representing them with respect for someone's mental illness. The complexities of the medical record also ensure that decisions regarding access are not black and white. Access is the single biggest issue noted by the interviewees in relation to medical records and falls into two categories, practical concerns and broader issues of sensitivity. One of the, one of the most contentious issues in relation to the provision of access to medical records is the perception of the 100-year rule, a UK law which was abolished in 2005. Interviewees were questioned um, on the continued um, relevance of a blanket closure period for sensitive records. Responses from the 12 participants were divided. Two out of the 12 believe 100 years to be fair and reasonable. Edgerton explains that any restriction period is arbitrary, but that blanket periods are easier both for the archivist to administer and for the user to understand. However, the majority of interviewees feel that 100 years can be excessive. In Gale's article, Maximising Access to Historic Medical Records, he advocates the use of different time periods depending on the age of the patient when admitted. 
Assuming an adult was 16 at the time of admittance would mean the records would be closed for 84 years. Assuming an age of 7 for a child would close the records for 93 years and records would remain closed for 100 years in the case of infants. Although Gale admits that this is labour-intensive, he argues that it has a satisfactory outcome in that it um, provides as much access to the records as possible. Nonetheless, he acknowledges the limits faced by the majority of archive services and states that this approach may not always be possible. Haynes and Wakeley describe closure periods as a movable feast, one that depends greatly on the nature of the collection in question. Nonetheless, they argue that health archivists should no longer use the blanket 100 years to close records, as to do so makes a mockery of the system encouraged by access laws such as FOI. McGee also feels that blanket closure periods can be too severe and conservative at times. He feels that as mental health records represent a critical period in early 20th century Ireland, archivists should try to facilitate access to them as much as possible while still protecting the privacy of the patient. Donnelly describes the differing closure periods of 84, 93 and 100 years as helpful but hard to determine in an Irish context, as patients were often under the age of 16 at the time of admittance. He argues that in providing access, the social context must be examined closely, as in a small country like Ireland, the past is not so far away. As well as the physical challenges of providing access to medical records, the interviewees note a number of issues that arise frequently in relation to the sensitivity of medical information. One interviewee states that the terrain is constantly shifting under the confidence issue and that it is marked by a lot of uncertainty in case law. Although there were very clear procedures in place in relation to data protection, for, data protection for the living, he explains that issues of confidence become much more complicated after the data subject has died. Furthermore, a number of interviewees highlight that medical records contain a lot of third-party information, particularly psychiatric records. Such situations can be tricky and raise the issue of what exactly is considered to be your information. Doran and Etherton recall similar cases where they received requests for information from researchers whose mothers had been admitted to an asylum. On consulting the material, they came across additional information about the patient and were unsure if this information was known to the requester. In both cases, they discovered that the researcher had other siblings from whom they were separated at birth. However, such information technically belongs to the researcher's mother and not to the researcher themselves. In order to avoid inadvertently breaching the confidence of the data subject, the interviewees explain that the archivist can only answer the questions that are put to them and that they must never volunteer information. Doran states that it can be difficult for the archivist to deal with delicate situations that potentially could have a huge impact on an individual and their relationship with their family. Bennett believes that in giving access to medical records, the archivist must establish a relationship with the user over time, often through a build-up of emails, He argues that doing so allows the archivist time to locate and review the record and, if necessary, to prepare the user for the sensitive information it contains. However, as the majority of archivists have not received any training in counselling and are often so busy with other researchers in the reading room, the communication of sensitive information to a user can be, quote, really quite hard and awkward. This is especially difficult for junior staff on the front desk as experience with similar situations is necessary. For example, the archivist must consider the user's body language. However, Doran explains that this is not possible with remote users, which can make the provision of access to sensitive information more difficult. The interviewees um, argue that archivists would benefit greatly from some follow-up training in the area from professionals such as social workers. Etherton feels that every archive should display information leaflets on local services such as counsellors, adoption agencies and psychiatrists. 
Overall, the interviews illustrate that the provision of access to medical records requires a fine balance. Regardless of whether participants agree or disagree with the period of 100 years, the interviews illustrate that some period of restriction is necessary if the privacy and confidentiality of the patient and their family is to be honoured. However, closure periods once decided are not absolute. The interviewees note that permission to access medical records is wholly dependent on the researcher's intended use of the material and that there are a number of alternative access routes, such as getting permission from the donor and signing an undertaking of confidentiality. The interviewees also state that they frequently conduct research on behalf of researchers. Although issues of confidentiality further complicate the access process, McGee argues, what's the point in keeping archives if they're not used? So once issues of privacy and confidentiality have been properly addressed, the majority of interviewees argue that the careful dissemination of medical records through archival outreach generates great public interest and is important for society. The majority of participants interviewed have used their medical collections in some kind of outreach programme. The Grange Gorman material has been used in a number of exhibitions, including an exhibition for mental health care professionals in 2010, an exhibition of medical records in Donegal and the Fibsborough Festival in 2011. Hutton is a member of the Advice and Records Knowledge Department at the National Archives and specialises in medical records. Her main role is to develop archival knowledge about lesser-known records. As such, she is heavily involved in public outreach where the results of her research are disseminated through public talks, presentation at conferences, publications and also in the creation of research guides. Likewise, Haynes and Wakeley describe a very active outreach programme at Wellcome, which regularly hosts public talks, visits, tours and conferences. Welcome also hosts more general cultural events, which are, quote, usually very well attended and often booked out. In this regard, Wakeley states that medical records are a nice way to engage people who don't necessarily think about history, because health is so central, you can spin it to lots of different audiences. At Bethlehem, Gail feels that outreach looms large in relation to medical records, as it is vitally important for giving the user, quote, first-hand experience of their potency. Like Welcome, Bethlehem is present on Twitter and has an active blog. The Bethlehem Archive receives one visit a week from a school, university or community group. During these visits, students are shown a casebook which acts as, quote, a launch pad to talk about the experience of being a patient in the 19th century. In addition, the Bethlehem Archive has undertaken various outreach projects. One such project is called Out of Your Senses. Gail explains that the census records individuals at whatever location they happen to be on the night the census is taken, and a number of patients complained that they would be forever associated with their time in Bethlehem. As a result, a number of censuses taken at the hospital recorded patients only by their initials. This project aimed to restore patient names to corresponding census records from 1891, 1901 and 1911, and to create an online database. Another project undertaken at the Bethlehem Archive is entitled This Is Your Hospital. Orlingham Park Psychiatric Hospital, whose records are held at Bethlehem, was the first institution in the UK to change its name from an asylum to a hospital. Orlingham Park became a model for a new approach towards mental health in the 1950s. Its wards were unlocked, it advocated community care, and it opened a unit dedicated to the treatment of alcohol addiction. In 1957, a British MP, Christopher Mayhew, checked himself into Orlingham Park in order to interview its staff and patients as part of a BBC documentary series. The This Is Your Hospital project received permission to use this footage and together with a small independent filmmaker commissioned an oral history project of patients, relatives and staff who remember the hospital today. The combined footage was shown at Bethlehem 
as part of World Mental Health Day on the 10th of October 2011 and has been used in the creation of an online resource which recently went live. The interviews illustrate that the human nature of medical records makes them a ripe source for archival education and outreach. However, the interviewees point out that outreach brings issues of privacy and confidentiality to the fore. It is one thing to administer access to a medical record through controlled processes of freedom of information, um, undertakings of confidentiality and donor permission, and quite another to freely disseminate its contents to the wider public. The interviews demonstrate that the use of medical records in archival outreach is tied to deeper notions of respect. Gail argues that as outreach is the shop front of the archive, you have to think carefully about what you put out there. Despite the challenges, the majority of interviewees highlight the benefits of the use of medical records in archival outreach. Donnelly feels that once there are proper procedures in place, access to medical records should be encouraged as far as possible, while Doran argues that outreach demonstrates their importance to the public, the archives profession and their parent body. McGee feels that the opening up of medical records will perhaps encourage archives to open up in other areas too. Overall, the majority of interviewees anticipate a much greater use of medical records in archival outreach in the future. The emphasis on the importance of context throughout the interviews raises issues surrounding the long-standing tension between the role of the archivist and the historian. The interviews illustrate that in order to understand and properly manage a medical collection, the archivist must undertake some research into its background. However, the extent of this research is disputed amongst the interviewees. Gail explains, like most archivists, you don't come with that specialist knowledge. It's not part of your training. But inevitably, if you stay anywhere long enough, you begin to just pick that up. Whatever the level of research conducted by the archivist in order to make the collection more manageable for themselves, the most contentious issue amongst the interviewees was the extent to which the archivist should blur the boundaries between archivist and historian when communicating with the user. Donnelly feels that in determining the extent of their role as historian, the archivist should take their cue from the user themselves. Quote, the archivist should be as helpful as possible to a reasonable extent, but it depends on the user. Some mightn't need as much help. Hutton argues that it can be hard for the archivist to separate out their dual roles as archivist and historian. She raises the issue of how the archivist might avoid, quote, inferring a belief onto a record when you don't really understand what it's about. Here she gives the example of a workhouse record that described two male inmates as bed-sharing. She argues that such ahistorical terms can prove difficult for the archivist to interpret and in turn to communicate to the user. If the archivist feels that this may be related to issues of sexuality, do they have a duty to flag this to the user who may be conducting gender history research? She explains that the main response to this issue amongst archivists is that the archivist should not interfere or tamper with the description process, as to do so constructs an interpretation in itself. However, she argues that if the archivist does not engage with these issues, there is a danger that the nuances and subsequently the potential research value of these records will remain hidden. Hutton states that in general, archivists are positive about the raising of these issues, but so far no answers have been found to the difficulties presented by archival representation. The majority of interviewees associate archival representation with the process of outreach. While Brennan feels that the archivist should separate their role from that of a historian, um, she says, quote, they can and should represent the silent stories through exhibitions, oral history projects, and publications of articles and books where possible. Gail explains that the Out of Your Senses project developed out of a sense of public consciousness as it was unsatisfactory that these patients had dropped out of the official record like they didn't exist. Yet the responses illustrate that outreach must be done in an enlightened fashion. It is not a question of if, but how. 
Gale argues that the archivist has a responsibility towards the vulnerable. He comments that timing is everything. Quote, just because legally you are able to do something doesn't mean you should. The archivist has an ethical and professional responsibility to act properly, not just do what you could get away with. In this regard, Presumed Curable, the illustrated casebook of Bethlehem um, Patients, published by Gail and Howard, details the social and historical background of psychiatry and Bethlehem Hospital itself. The following extract explains the aim of this project. We want to rescue their cases from being discussed impassively as no more than examples of Victorian diagnosis and treatment. The case notes do not provide the last, no, the last word on any of these people. They represent no more than a snapshot taking at a most testing time in their subjects' lives. By attending to the voices of these patients, we can, we can accord them a posthumous dignity. In stark contrast, an article appeared in the Daily Mail newspaper on the Broadmoor Archive in 2011. This article focuses solely on the sensationalist side of the hospital and its most famous patients, described as <coughs> killers of all sorts, baby batterers, rapists and arsonists. One patient, Christiana Edmonds, is referred to as a scheming, image-obsessed, murdering minx, and the journalist explains that there were so many who felt she had got away with murder and resented the cost of keeping her alive indefinitely when a long rope and a short drop would have been considerably cheaper. However it is done, the, interviews, the interviewees argue that the archivist has a moral duty to re- prevent the exploitation of the life stories contained within the medical record in their care, as they play a powerful role in how the medical record is represented to the wider public. Although, quote, a lot of things need to be thought out before opening the floodgates, it seems fair to suggest that in order to counteract voyeuristic or sensationalist misuse of the medical record, the archivist must be more active in terms of archival representation. The responses to the interviews consolidate Donnelly's assertion that medical records are problematic and require a lot more work than normal collections. Although the archivist encounters many other complex record-keeping systems from different disciplines, the interviewees argue that it is their distinctly human nature that separates medical records from those of a bank. Thus, the nature of the medical record necessitates a more gentle and diplomatic approach by the archivist in all processes from acquisition to dissemination. Moreover, the responses suggest that the medical record can both alter and accentuate particular aspects of the archivist's role, as they strive to balance their duties as facilitator, overseer, curator, historian, and sometimes counsellor. The challenges faced by the archivist in managing the medical record are common across a broad range of archive services in Ireland and the UK. The main issues noted by interviewees concern access, privacy, and the ethical challenges surrounding archival representation. It is notable, however, that the current state of medical records differs greatly between Ireland, where records remain largely unarchived, and the UK, where medical records have long been protected by legislation. Donnelly argues that it is an absolute necessity for medical records to receive statutory protection in Irish law. Even after 30 years as a surveyor of business records in the National Archives of Ireland, Donnelly states that the rescuing of medical records in the field remains as important as ever. Um, And that, quote, if things are changing so rapidly, there is still a danger that material will disappear if we take our eye off the ball. Donnelly explains that in 2012, the Local Authority Archives Records Survey is over 16 years old and that there is an urgent need for a reassessment of both public and private medical records in Ireland so that they may may be transferred to the archive and in time made available to the public. Unfortunately, Donnelly notes that the majority of archives are, quote, hamstrung in what they can do. Some counties don't have archivists, other archives have an uncertain future, and consequently, fully archived medical collections, such as those of Our Ladies Hospitals in Cork and Ennis, are in the minority.
Nonetheless, all participants in Ireland and the UK agree that there is much room for improvement in current approaches towards archiving medical records. They argue that some guidance in the area would be very useful. However, the interviewees highlight the difficulties surrounding the creation of a code of best practice as, quote, when it boils down to it, the medical record must be archived on a case-by-case basis. McGee acknowledges that a code can't cover everything. However, he argues that a working document should at least provide a clear explanation of the role of the archivist and the main issues that we need to address. And while it cannot offer specific answers, it should include flexible but solid guidelines on how to go about making a decision. This necessity for flexibility and discretion leads the majority of interviewees to believe that a code of best practice would be preferable to written legislation when it comes to archiving medical records. McGee argues that as the medical record is largely concerned with personal stories, there is a fear that legislation could be too rigid. Donnelly suggests that future health acts could, quote, include a reference to the keeping and preservation of medical records. It would make such a difference in the long term. However guidance is offered, the majority of interviewees note the importance of the archival profession working together with related fields. Finnegan argues that archivists must educate (coughs) archival medical professionals as to the value of medical records. Doran suggests that a focus group between archivists and medical professionals would be beneficial, while Brennan Brennan feels that um, national and local guidance um, should be created in line with advice from bodies such as the HSE and the Archives and Records Association of Ireland. McGee suggests the establishment of, quote, a colloquium between archivists, historians and social scientists who would meet to discuss medical records and perhaps hold a conference at some stage. One archivist suggests that there should be a European framework established for the coming together of all stakeholders in the medical record, including archivists, mental health professionals and patients themselves. In this regard, all archivists noted the importance of continued professional development and the majority feel that training seminars aimed at archivists managing medical and other sensitive information would be both a great interest and a great help. Keeping in mind the responses to these interviews and the findings from my previous chapters, the final chapter of my research aims to create a set of recommendations for a code of best practice for archivists dealing with medical records on a daily basis, while future research in the area may include the creation of a forum on medical archives with related fields. Despite the many challenges associated with medical records, the interviews demonstrate that they contain incredible potential. In this case, the interviewees argue that education and outreach is one of the most important functions of the archive in relation to the medical record. As mental health, both past and present, represents a hot topic, the responses from the interviews illustrate that the archivist not only has a professional responsibility to manage its records properly, but also an ethical responsibility to open them up to society as much as possible. Certainly all interviewees note a growing interest in the medical record that is not only represented in increasing user numbers, but also in the widening diversity of research topics. In conclusion, there is an overall sense from the interviews that the picture of medical records outlined in this research, quote, is only the tip of the iceberg and that they will play a much larger role in archival debates in the future.